Good morning, everybody. I'm back. Finally. I had about a two-week unscheduled break. <laughs> so I had, a, had to uh, go to give a talk, and then I got um, unknowingly got um, committed. To, well, I got committed to another talk that I didn't have scheduled. So, um, so we'll, we'll get into all, the, all my stuff, what I've been doing on Monday morning. I don't really um, want to take time from our guest today. we got a lot to go over. We've been going over iron for how many weeks? I don't know, several weeks. And I've been mentioning that as you, as you, if you've heard any of the previous podcasts or YouTube um, episodes, I've been talking about how un unbelievably complex it is, <laughs> iron in the soil. Um, I'm not particularly convinced that anybody is really, uh, you know, not that you know, really anybody really knows what's going on in the soil with iron. It's very, very complicated. And one of the strangest things sometimes can happen, uh, has happened, and, and 10 or 15 years ago, they started um, finding some stuff in putting greens and, and so forth. And we're going to talk about iron dynamics in putting greens today with the author of today's paper, Dr. O'Bear. How are you, doctor? Great. <clears throat> Thank you for having me on. Glenn is, um, I think you're the first author that's published anything on, like, Iron cementing layers and putting greens. Is that the case? I don't know of anything before this paper. Do you? Uh, there have been, the only thing I knew about before this was a magazine article that was written in German. Oh. And that was the only <laughs> thing I could find related to turf and iron cemented layers. Oh, so wow. Wow. This is the first peer reviewed paper that I know of. Yeah. Well, Glenn, I don't know if, I don't recall, I could be wrong, but I don't know if I've ever actually met you, um, maybe at a meeting or so. I, I don't recall exactly, but um, why don't you tell, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, you know, what your background is and how you got into turf grass and so forth. Great. Yeah. So I started out, uh, you know, in the turf industry by working on a golf course. And uh, yeah, I grew up in Sheboygan, Wisconsin and uh, worked on the maintenance crew at Whistling Straits and uh, decided I wanted to get into to that uh, career field. And so um, my second year uh, and I was I started I was in undergrad um, starting out and uh, I got an internship at a golf course in Hawaii uh, called Kukio. Mm. And um, the course was about five years old. And um, during my internship there, the superintendent uh, introduced me to um, a problem that we're talking about today, right? Um, where they had some layering issues in the putting greens. And, uh, um, you know, he, he'd had a lot of experience looking at these over his career. And um, there hadn't been a lot of research on, on how these layers form or you know, all these, these questions about what contributes to, you know, how they form and how to deal with them. And so, mm. um, from that kind of, from that point forward, it was a turning point for me of, um, wanting to get into the research side of what we do. Okay. And so, uh, after I finished my undergrad, I, um, I continued on with a master's degree at UW Madison. I worked with Dr. Doug Soldat and I, I looked at this issue and also studied bicarbonate, uh, you know, dynamics and accumulation in putting greens hmm. and then um i studied entomology at uw madison as well hmm. uh, and then after that i went to nebraska and started a phd program to continue to look at the iron uh accumulation issues uh, okay. a part of the way through my phd program i moved back to wisconsin and i started at exacto which is a company that's who i work with now um so exacto makes wetting agents and adjuvants uh for the turf industry as hmm. well as agriculture so 
Mm. Um, my role there is I'm the, the R&D director, so I oversee formulation development, um, lab and field testing, and then regulatory as well. And so, mm. um, yeah, so we, we make a lot of products that help make inputs more efficient, whether it's pest control or fertilizer or irrigation. Um, that's kind of our our focus is making what you guys use more efficient. And so, what, what, what was the... Um... It was the old BASF line. It was at BASF. We don't make the products you buy. We make the products you buy better or something like that. What was the old commercial? Something like that. It kind of, it kind of reminds like me that. of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's similar, right? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, go it, ahead. it sounded like, um, if I heard you right, that you, you may or may not have been thinking about graduate school, but when you went to your internship in Hawaii and this mm-hmm. sort of, the superintendent introduced you to this issue that maybe spurred some critical thinking and some interest in pursuing that further and that is that what led you into to going into graduate school that's what encouraged you or were you thinking about it before yeah then? i'd like to give the superintendent full credit um his name was scott nair and he uh he said why don't you go to graduate school and figure this thing out and oh, so well good i did go to i did go to a graduate school I, d- I don't think i figured it out <laughs> oh well yeah i don't know if any of us figure anything out in graduate school other than you know <laughs> how to mess things up sometimes. true well that's true yeah yeah how do you put too much on your plate <laughs> yeah yeah time management yep. maybe i don't know how to yeah. how to stay motivated and get across the finish line i think that's probably what i learned in grad school you know but but i can't when you start out you think that you're gonna do all these things and then yeah. i mean man, that was 2014. That's when this paper came out. Yeah. Can we have a moment of silence for the past 10 years? It's been 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> man, I know it's, oh God, it's like a blink of an eye. Do you have any, you have any, fa- you have any children? Yeah, I have yeah. two kids, that, eight, I, and, ten, eight, eight and 10. Oh, eight and 10. Okay. So it's basically the mm-hmm. same as my children. And that is like, they say you can't time, you know, time travel is not possible. You have kids, it'll be, you'll time travel real quick. I mean, you turn around, it's been 10 years. Like what, what yep. happened? You were mm-hmm. just, you were just in preschool and now you're in eighth grade. What? <laughs> like, how did that happen? Yep. So yep. that, that's, that yep. seems like it speeds timed up hugely when you have kids. It does, yeah. That's good. Absolutely. So yep. you, so you went and did some work with, um, with Doug and then you went to Nebraska and worked with Bill, I guess, huh? Is that who was? I he, did. He, he was, yep. in, he was. Um, developing or creating, or I guess maybe it was you, some sort of system there, a fabricated system with columns or something with iron at one point. Was that Bill doing that, or am I crazy? Uh, yeah, it, it was me. And, it was you doing Bill. that. Okay. Yeah, it was it was for my project. Yep. And that was for the your PhD, yep. and then somewhere in between there, you moved back to Wisconsin and kept doing it remotely. Exactly. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. I think the the fabricated system was was really cool, and I think someone could do something really special with it. But I I. Uh, I, I, I parked that one and I focused on what I could finish remotely. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let's get into the paper then. So the um, the paper we're going to talk about to get today, everyone, is your 2014 paper. This is in Geoderma. I'm pretty sure Geoderma is behind a paywall. At least this article I think is. I don't remember. But um, probably this yeah. is one of the first articles we've discussed in Geoderma. And I know Doug's put a couple of papers in Geoderma over the years. Um, so it's a good good journal. The, the title of it is called Soils with Iron Cemented Layers on Golf Courses in the United States in Geoderma in 2014. So <clears throat> you already answered one of my questions, like how did you end up finding a course in Hawaii? That, that was probably the first course you found, apparently. Um, uh, yeah, I can answer that quickly. I mean, as a, a scrappy 
you know, college freshman, I, I just went, I went on Google and Google yeah. top 10 golf courses in Hawaii. Yeah. And I pr printed my resume and oh, yeah. put it in manila envelopes. And <laughs> I mean, that's one of the odds that would work, but I think it showed up there yeah. the very day that someone backed out of an internship. And so the guy called oh. me and. Yeah. yeah you never know how about. things, imagine what would have happened with your career or your direction. If, if that person didn't back out or whatever, you didn't go to Hawaii, you might not have ever even done graduate school. Who knows where your life would have went, you know? It's Unless crazy. Ma manganese instead of iron. Who knows? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's let's talk about first, um, you know, the introduction and the materials and methods. What, um, you know, just kind of walk us through how the. I mean, we you already walked us through how you first found the course in Hawaii. In this mm -hmm. paper, you have a map that shows various locations of of mm -hmm. these course or these putting greens around the United States, but just walk us through like from the beginning before, I guess probably before you, I don't know if you, you was this with Doug or was it, I guess it was Doug. He's on the paper. So, yeah. um, so before you even went there and there, before this project ever even existed, obviously this was on your mind. I mean, you, you found this course in Hawaii or you introduced it from the superintendent. How did it, mm -hmm. how did it come about? How was it developed and, and walk me through the, the sure. initial stages of the project? Yeah. So, I mean, just, uh, let's, you know, put yourself on the golf course. Imagine you're standing on the course and, um, you know, w what do you see first? You see the turf, the, the density, um, you know, the health of a, of a putting green and, um, on all these greens in the low spots, mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, kind of like where you, where you'd have uh, lateral drainage and maybe an outflow drain pipe, okay. um, where there was lower turf density, the, the soils were wetter in those spots. And it's like, you know, those areas that we classically associate with having, black layer or anaerobic conditions you know and mm -hmm. um uh what what we then looked at or discovered was um you know we, we took a sod cutter and we cut out you know two or three rows of sod from those edges those low low spots from the edge of the green um so, you know stripped the sod away and then dug down through that uh sand profile and there were usga spec putting greens with sand over gravel okay and uh so you saw that really dark um anaerobic you know kind of like smells like sulfur soil at the surface mm -hmm. and then down at, at the interface of sand and gravel we saw these cemented red plate like you know uh cemented layers and they were you know cemented by iron and okay so, so so explain that i mean I've, I've never actually seen this in in person so like if if you dug down in there if someone on a severe case like you have a photo in here that's at least i think it's a pretty pretty clear case but if you dug down in there for, first of all you you see a low area of your of your putting green or you know that tends to be anaerobic or tends to mm -hmm. it's not doing well they might initially think it's some sort of black layer of sulfur and it may be that um, but you would go all the way, you went all the way down to the gravel layer, which is, you know, 12 inches or more down. And at that interface, there's, is it hard metal? Is it just like aggregated, dense, you know, uh, material that has some percolation or is it just completely like a sheet of steel? I mean, what does it look like? Uh, not a sheet of steel, but it means like, uh, if you grabbed a, a plate of this stuff, you could snap it, but it would audibly snap. Oh, so okay. it's, it's kind of like a conglomerated, uh, you know, powdery, it's really powdery. Okay. That's okay. yeah. Especially once it dries out. But, um, I mean, certainly it's the density of that would be higher than, 
uh, or like the the pore space in that would be much less than what's in the sand above. And so it's but it's a sh it's a sheet that you can actually pick up if you handled it well enough. You could actually pick it <laughs> mm -hmm. up. But oh, really? Okay, wow. correct. Yeah, uh, that would be yep. a problem. Like, as <laughs> as you're shoveling it, you're picking up big big plates of it. With a wow. Yeah. Wow. And so wow. Okay. So go ahead and continue. Yeah. So so you you mm -hmm. saw this. You dug down and you see this. Um. In in please continue about how the project developed from there. Sure. Yeah. So no. I mean. So you you know you called out that if you're you're you first see that thing at the surface and your natural thought then is, okay, um, we need to aerify, we need to do all these things to attack this surface issue. But digging down, um, the superintendent knew to dig down deeper and that was so insightful because that's mm -hmm. really what showed us more of a full view of what was going on. And so okay. anyway, so, um, you know, we, at, at that time, we, we physically removed the layers with shovels on many of the greens that were struggling and, um, you know, think that that could have provided some temporary improvement in drainage. Um, it really, the question then is, uh, what conditions are present that's making these layers form um, on greens that are only five-ish years old? I mean, that's pretty young um, for, for something like that to happen, right? And yeah. so, um, yeah, so, so then that's, you know, that's when Scott made the comment, you should go get a master's degree and study this. So um, I went back to back to UW, um, to, you know, continue with, with my undergrad program, but was in the soil science department and, and showed this to a lot of the um, the soil scientists there. Right. And so um, Doug was my advisor or I worked with him in well, the turf program. But well, then I got but, a question, though. So so you're yeah. an, you're an undergraduate and you did an internship and then you came back with some photos of this and shared it with the faculty there. Yeah. Yeah. See that. Yeah. That I think that off. That, okay. Let me let me just make a comment here, if you don't mind. The the value in that sort of communication, I think, sometimes is is fading. I mean, I, I don't I don't I don't know if people undergraduates quite sometimes grasp the value of something as simple as that. The communication, in other words, the faculty are really there to serve you. They're being paid by state tax dollars to service you as the student and taxpayers and so forth. And you go back to them and say, hey, I, I see this stuff. And then from that, you see this huge project develop and we start addressing problems that they probably very likely would have been many, many years before they ever, you know, were introduced to this particular phenomenon in putting greens. Just because an undergraduate came and brought it to their attention. I think that's great. Fantastic. Well yeah. done. And I thank you. I think it, I think uh, it speaks so much to, you know, um, I think about the idea of innovation a lot and mm -hmm. like. You know, is there anything truly original anymore? I, th yeah, there is. But uh, so much of the innovation comes from, you know, we, ha we have our world. Like, let's say it's, you know, managing golf course turf and mm -hmm. soils. Um, someone else in another world that's related, like uh, pedology, soil formation, for example, in this case. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I showed, I showed some, um, Alfred, who's one of the co-authors co on this. Uh, he saw pictures of this and he was like, Oh, I've studied this ex extensively in, uh, uh, you know, alpine forest soils, and okay. this looks exactly this looks exactly like a spodosol. And like he had a whole vocabulary, and yeah. there's a name for it, and a, a you know, there's a whole system that's in place that quite literally applies to what we're doing, except there are some differences. So it's yeah. I think that cr that cross pollination of um, reaching out not just to the people that are right within our inner circle, but branching out to, you know a broader network in this case at, at a university like a university provides that and that's i think yeah that's, that's the value of of that is um every i bet there were four other people in that department that would one person would be focused on the biology aspect and someone else would mm -hmm. be focused on 
the soil physics aspect and everybody has such a oh yeah useful insight to it there's physics yeah. and chemistry and there's all sorts of stuff going on here in this particular project well good thanks for the introduction so that's kind of how it came about and that's how it got, got on got on the table and and started developing I, I assume either doug or, or alfred had some funding and and you're able to get in and start the project and get it going yeah i can and, comment on that uh doug, doug had a usga grant to study bicarbonate okay. and uh and then this really became kind of a, a side project or a tech on to that and so this wasn't oh. initially even in in the program or for my uh Good. my thesis but uh but it became a chapter of my thesis and then it became uh, my phd project so perfect yeah. Well, let's get into it. Um, that's the introduction, basically, and the material. And here's the um, for those watching. Here's the, uh, the the map of the locations. What, there's, I don't necessarily know if we want to. If you, we can go through the whole materials and methods if you want to. But just in general, sort of in layman's terms, yeah. walk us through the materials and methods. How you kind of scouted out these locations, how you diagnosed them, and then how you selected them, and so forth. You want to do that? Yeah, I can do that. So again, I, I mentioned I initially started with a USGA funded bicarbonate focused project. And so um, the goal of that project or one of the pieces of it was uh, to work with the USGA green section agronomists and um, th they would help find courses that would be interested in participating in the study. They would take um, these in situ undisturbed full profile samples and PVC pipes and uh, and then send those to to us at UW Madison. And then we would, you know, look at them and, and measure the goal was to measure the bicarbonate mm. or the carbonate concentration in the soil to see if any layers existed. And, uh, and so then here we are with this big wealth of um, full profile soil samples. And I, I, again, I, I had just come from this internship where I saw the, this layering issue. And mm -hmm. then lo and behold, in maybe a third of those samples that we got out of 30 something sites, about a third of them had some form of this reddish iron accumulation, iron okay. cemented layer. Okay. And so the light bulb turned light bulb turned on and it was, um, you know, so it was it was quite uh, it was convenient to ha to have one sample set that you know uh, applied to both studies, and so that's really what we did. Is we, um, you know, this map shows all those sites that we took samples from, and then the ones that have the blue, you know, star. We we went further in depth, and those are the samples that were analyzed for this paper. Okay, so, perfect. Yeah. So let's. For those people who are interested in Table One, these are the different locations that they studied. So it looks like you studied in Washington State, Wisconsin, New Jersey, Virginia, Florida, and Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So those are the six out of however many locations that you saw. How many would you identify? Identified eighteen. So out of those eighteen, you got six that you wanted to look at further. Mm -hmm. And let's mm -hmm. now, now for now, here's what we're talking about. For those now, there's going to be a lot of people listening on podcast, Glenn. So we're looking, we're going to be looking at photographs here, and this kind of really shows the the point or the the, the mm -hmm. phenomenon that's occurring. But if we can use our best description ability the, for those people who might not be looking at the the photo, what, what do we see here, Glenn? Yeah. So this picture is showing what I alluded to with, um, you know, in, in the upper left corner, it's showing a putting green that um, we actually were uh re-sprigging it and so it, it uh we had stripped away all the turf and you're looking at the sand root zone or you know soil profile mm -hmm. and then the gravel below mm -hmm. and we we excavated out uh a huge maybe you know 20 foot wide by 30 foot long uh section of the sand and that entire area that's been excavated out uh, had that cemented layer oh really um, 
covering the gravel. This this entire green actually, you know, every every part that we investigated on this whole green had that layer underneath the sand. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Yep. That's, that's so it. I see. That's now. what that's showing. Yep. Huh. And then, uh, so yeah, so that that was you know 2008 in Hawaii, and then uh, I started. This is funny. I started doing this research really just thinking that this was like a this hawaii problem some kind of exotic um thing that you know you'd have to go there to find and then uh the picture on the upper right is literally from university ridge golf course which is i i worked at for two years <laughs> and and, did, <laughs> and and never saw this and uh yeah. And it was, you know, right in the backyard of UW's Turf Research Center where I worked yeah. for three years. And so uh, someone, the guy called me and he's like, you got to get over here. You got to check this out. <laughs> and I, I, I just, uh, I'll never forget that day. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, so that's, um, again, uh, it, this, it wasn't everywhere on that golf course, but this mm -hmm. was in one particular area where you see some reddish color at the top um, above the gravel layer. And then yep. this really darker black color below that red. Um, which, you know, it could be iron, it could be manganese. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's again, it's that cemented layer close up. You can see, um, sticking all that sand together and, and really, um, preventing a lot of that drainage from going through the sand down into the gravel. Yeah. I, supposed to go. I, I, I say this with hesitation because I know the superintendent is probably not happy with this particular, what happened there, you know, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. But from a soil chemistry perspective, this is awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, when is, you see yeah. this, when you see this fading of this red right here and going, you know, mm -hmm. it's going, it's going down, but you see this fading from this black layer where it's been completely turned into oxide and you see this fading where there's a, it's probably some sesquioxides and some, yep. some, some him, you know, some redox reactions all occurring all in this red zone here, this little brownish red zone right above the black, black uh, oxidized iron, or uh, it could be aluminum or manganese. But that that's to me that's awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it's it, fascinating. It, it is really fascinating. I, I I know the superintendents don't want to hear that. I'm sorry for them mm -hmm. to have to deal with this. But it's right. really it. What what amazes me the most sometimes is that you know the USGA spec greens are built for compaction. I mean we we need to maintain aeration. We need to maintain you know a turf grass growing on a on a, in a location that gets a lot of traffic and you know and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. So it is what it is, and we have, you know, it, it it serves its good purpose. But I'm surprised we didn't actually think of this 30 years ago when we were designing the USGA spec greens, because it is a perch water table. There is a very specific reason why it's designed that way with the particle sizes and the thickness and so forth for water movement and so forth. Um, but when you hit that airified layer, well, we'll get to it. When you hit the, the gravel layer where there's just a lot of oxygen down there and the lower boundary mm -hmm. chemistry of that upper layer of the 12, cent 12 inches, there's a lot of stuff going on there, there and is. I'm surprised we didn't really consider that at the, at, you know, at, at the onset of that. I don't, there's not much we can do about it probably, but, um, mm -hmm. it's fascinating to actually see this now. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm, I'll be no, here for, good. I'll be here for four hours talking about this stuff. Okay. So, <laughs> so in, in C, what do we see? Yeah. In this looks more of like a, like a fairway sort of thing, but it's not right. It's still a green. It is. This is a green. So it, it's, uh, this now this is in wisconsin this the bottom two pictures and so okay um again at another golf course where i never expected to find this issue but um I don't, and i don't remember how we first came across it but uh we got samples from them and we're able to look at uh, a, a low area and a high like a, a low poorly drained area where um the lower right picture actually shows uh you have 
maybe some winter injury that's mm. occurred. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, you know, suggesting maybe it's at a spot where water accumulates and you might have ice forming and things okay. like that okay. versus a, a well-drained slope. And um, this is, a, you know, one of the first spots where we looked at okay. um, the difference between the iron concentration in the well-drained areas versus the, por- the poorly or, you know, the depositional areas lower down in elevation. And so that's mm-hmm. that's what that's showing and, and in this case we actually had an accumulation of iron at that 10 centimeter like uh just below the kind of at the bottom of the root zone mm-hmm. below that yeah like five inches down ridge. yeah, not, yeah exactly. not very deep yep. at all yeah not very deep at all yeah and what what, so. what sort of what sort of concern or risk is involved when you're looking this doesn't look near as as um acute as the letter you know as the panel b does but the, you're, is it is it the case that even something such as this here, where we're talking um, the, the it's, it's more of a faded but obvious but yet f- sort of faded uh, accumulation potentially of iron or iron oxide is it, what sort of concern would that be for turf grass health? Do we see something in those cases? I mean, is that what this is here? Is that what this is on this right panel? Is, I don't think that that my my personal opinion is I don't think that that layer is causing that turf to die. I think that that's, uh, Mm. I think that that's a winter injury issue. Okay. Um, I mean, it's all, they're all connected at some point, right. With, um, drainage and, and, uh, it's, it's really, it's a three dimensional (laughs) problem, but, uh, you know, I think where I I think the gray area is, um, I shouldn't use color because color is related to the problem here. Um, I think where the, the tricky spot is, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's more obvious when it's like a, like a dinner plate, hard cemented layer. Uh-huh. Um, but when, when you dig a hole in soil, you're going to see red color. Yeah. I mean, well, you're going to see layers. Not, you're going to see layers. Yeah. You are. And, um, and, and even if that layer, even if it wasn't iron, I mean, all putting greens have an area where there's more organic matter at the surface and then sure. a drop off where then there's no organic matter. And, that surface is going to hold more moisture than the drier area below. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I think this might just exacerbate that. That's yeah. my thought is that it like, it's almost like a mini version of the sand over gravel interface where mm-hmm. that one's really stark because the water just sits in that sand. It doesn't go into the gravel. Yeah. Um, I think over time that happens above as well, where you have a slightly finer textured, more moisture holding layer above a coarser textured sandy layer and you've got more moisture being held there oh okay it's, it's wetter above and it's drier below yeah and so that's then you can see these it's possible uh, especially again, layers it's, can form it's definitely possible especially if you're using um well potentially if you're using different sizes sand for your top dressings and things like that where you're using Yep. You know, I, ideally yep. i mean things the, the the putting green is never static i mean it's always changing mm-hmm. so I, ideally you'd be using the same particle size as when it was built, but they might've been built 20 years ago. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. So you can't, it's not possible to get the exact same thing, but that's uh, those, mm-hmm. what you're saying makes, makes some sense. If you, especially if you, if you do it enough to where you're forming, you know, a textural discontinuity as like a salt, you know, as a kind of a finite line mm-hmm. or a layer there. Okay. Exactly. Yep. <clears throat> so you took some samples, Basically, I'll just sum up the you know some of the materials methods. You took some samples and you analyzed those samples for various forms of iron. One thing that you mentioned many times throughout here, and I highlighted here, is the various types of iron analysis. And you not, you denote those as Fe sub zero or Fe or O or Fe sub D, mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah. Can you walk me through there and help explain what is the um, when you say the Fe O to FED ratios and all these other things, oxalate extractable iron and so forth. What are you, mm-hmm. what are you, what are you saying there? Yeah. So 
step back for a moment. So, you know, uh, what, what do we, when we take, take soil samples and send them to a lab, you know, where, what are we usually looking at? Nutrient availability, right? And yeah. so um, they're running like a Malik 3 or some kind of, mm -hmm. some, some extraction that extracts a certain amount of the nutrients. And then um, we see, you know, we analyze that. And so yeah. um, I've had a lot of people look at soil test reports and, and send in, like they'll be they'll see this layer and then they'll be looking at like malik 3 soil test results and it doesn't oh, exactly yeah. match up it's yeah. not the, it's not the right test for this and so <laughs> yeah um again like it's our you know there's that's a whole other area of controversy what is the right test for um even for nutrient availability but definitely those yeah. are not the right extractions to measure iron yeah. accumulation problems this is not about plants available iron. This is I, I would argue that mega three is not a good test of measure. <laughs> plant for, uptake for, for of anything? iron. <laughs> well, no, yeah, no, no, no. So I mean, for iron, yeah, well, for, for for iron, iron for mega iron. three with iron is is very poorly correlated. But go ahead. I'm sorry. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. And so, so we have to go to a different toolbox of tests for this, and that's that's a challenge, right? Because um, all mm -hmm. the all the major commercial labs um, easily offer the plant the plant nutrient analysis, right? But mm -hmm. are the plant plant available nutrients. Um, so, so these are some more customized methods that are really designed to extract iron oxide. And so, um, so there's, there's three different ones that we used, uh, total iron measures, like literally all the iron in that soil. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, we never really look at total in, uh, like turf soil testing, but yeah, but oh, I had a guy. I had a guy this last week. I was at the G at the um at the golf course show, mm -hmm. <laughs> and he was trying to convince. I was talking about soil tests, and he said yeah. no. Uh, he said no, no. You need to do total analysis, total nutrient analysis. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? And he said, he said yeah. no, total total nutrient. You have a lot more there than you realize. And I was I was actually giving the talk, and I and I had to stop the the the, the show. And I was like, hold on, guys, do not do total analysis. Okay, it's useless for turf grass management. It, it don't do. I, mean, I had to tell him. I was like, don't do what he said. He was an audience. Yeah. He's an audience member, and he was trying to contribute. But I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we're not. We're not doing. Yeah. We're not starting up another mythology or legend of doing total in. We should have been doing total iron the whole time. No, no, no. So I, you know what yeah. what you're saying, Glenn, and I want to make sure the audience understands is uh -huh. is that yes, you can do total analysis. He can do total iron. From our pragmatic, you know, practitioner's perspective, it's not useful. From a scientific perspective, from yes. when we're trying to diagnose things and understand what's going on in the soil, it can be useful. And here's a perfect example of that. I'm sorry. Go exactly. ahead. Glenn. No, exactly. Yep. Yeah. I think the only place I could, I think it could be useful for looking at physical layering problems, okay. drainage problems, things mm -hmm. like that. But yeah, I agree that. I mean, what you're measuring is like the inside of a grain of sand that will never break down. Exactly. You're measuring that iron. So it's, you're, you're way overestimating or not estimating. You're literally measuring everything there. That's yeah. not, I mean, that's we're, not we're, you know, we're interested in knowing or having a good, having some confidence in knowing what will, what is, or will become available in the near future, you know, and how that mm -hmm. correlates to plant response and total nutrients is in, is I've never seen any evidence to indicate that total nutrients is in any way correlated with some sort of plant response. But like I said, in your case, when we're dealing with pedology or mineralogy or you know something to do with the soil where we, we want to understand it further and maybe diagnose something, that can be useful. But from from like a turf manager or superintendent's perspective, I have a, had, a, had a room full of superintendents 
Mm-hmm. And they, I think that's the first time they ever heard of total nutrient analysis. And the last thing we need is for all them to go, hey, I need some total nutrient analysis to know how much manganese. Yeah. No, 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 no. Let's stop that. So, so I'm I mean, oh, sorry. Yeah. I digress. Yeah. And, then, and then you're starting over back to the early 1900s of oh, God. soil testing from ground zero. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I know maybe like the, the current methods are not perfect, but we have a huge data set of, sure. you know, at least calibrating uh, like what pace turf's done with calibrating yeah. visual turf response to you know we have some confidence in it yeah there, there's a lot of information out there and so yeah, yeah starting over with a brand new method it, it sounds like about 100 oh, years of work and so yeah yeah so you so, speciated it you did oxalate extractable yes. iron and dithionate mm-hmm. extractable so what what does this mean oxalate extractable iron in terms of you know mm-hmm. what your what your purposes were for the study so in practical terms those are the two different strengths of extraction so oxalate is a weaker extraction and dithionite is a stronger extraction and, and then tw- what's that well why is that important why why was that important for your study to do that so what what you can do is um it, imagine you have uh really let's see um on, on one extreme you have like really really strongly cemented um old it's been there for a long time um, the dithionite, the FED, will will measure that. Okay. And um, and the oxalate will not measure that. It won't pick that up. And okay. So, so you could. Um, on the other hand, if you have iron that like was really fresh, recently formed, mm. maybe in the last year or two, mm. um, the oxalate will get all of that. And so you you can actually do a ratio of the oxalate to dithionite, meaning like if you do the extraction and the oxalate gets all the iron mm-hmm. um like those two extractions got you the same amount that means that it was all fresh or, okay. or more okay. recently accum- more recently accumulated that helps so that helps me understand it perfect thank you yeah that that's really the, the idea okay right. so if anybody's interested in soil you know judging <laughs> they, <laughs> yeah, they, they exactly. provide they provide all the horizons and all the this is probably greek to most people but yes. personally i love it because it's when you say when you say spodosol, I know immediately what you're talking about in terms of like water movement and horizon formation, in terms of you know what's necessary to create that, what it looks like in general. Most people aren't going to know that. Most people aren't going to care about that. I get that. But personally, for scientific purposes, I love this stuff. You give all yeah. the Munsell color chart um, you know, identifications of all the layers and so forth. So I know that was a lot of work, but thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. It's uh yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying. So we get into the results and um so just set, let's just set the stage here before we go any, any further going. So you you you've mm-hmm. gone out, you've taken you have six locations around the United States, some in the continental United States, one in Hawaii. You did did some core sampling, you took the core samples in. I think you actually split the core sample, you sp- split it vertically so you have two different core samples and you're doing analysis of the iron in, in layers, I guess. So you're looking at the A layers and the you know, the various layers in the soil. And then you're speciating that iron to kind of get an idea of how old that iron is, or you know how freshly deposited it was, and, and so forth, mm-hmm. as a mean to as a means to kind of determine how are these forming, what is what are the factors, or what what are, what are the elements f- that are involved in the formation. You obviously have probably a pretty good, especially with Alfred on here. That guy's unbelievable. I mean, he, he's he is. oh my yeah. god. So he he probably already knew, you know. Let's be honest. I mean, <laughs> the guy the guys are genius, the guys a genius. But you still yeah. got to go in. You got to do the work. Got to figure out. Make sure this is what it is. And yes, and sure enough. And so now we're here. We're looking at a, a scanning electron mic- micro- micrograph of of one of the samples. 
that kind of provides some of the some of the evidence of what exactly is going on to to um, aggregate these layers. You want to walk us through or explain um, what we're seeing in Figure Three here, the, the, the photograph. Yeah, it's we we made a, a thin section and and sliced it very very thin and put it under um, put it under an S, a scanning electron microscope, and it, you can actually look at the elements that are you know on that thin section, and so mm -hmm. we were able to see that um, that iron was is that medium gray color that's between grains of sand kind of sticking those together and, and okay. you know sitting against the gravel so yeah just a, a, a way another way to look at what our eyes already tell us or see yeah well it's you know we're in science we can't you know we can have a hypothesis but we can't just run with it we have to actually have evidence mm -hmm. to support it or, or we the evidence doesn't support it and until so you did this stuff it's fantastic yeah yeah good well well done so so as we go through the results Basically, you find that there are some movements, there's some iron in the precipitate layer. There, in some cases, there was some aluminum in the precipitate layer, and there was some soluble organic carbon in some locations, correct? Is that yeah. basically the, 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 the gist of it? Now, yep. Um, I, let's see, there was one in here I wanted to, let me look through here. The, da, 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 da. okay. So, I wanted to read this one paragraph about pH because we've been. I did a couple of videos on pH. I guess the last two I did on pH, and I guess people are interested in pH. So, um, yeah. so let me just read this, and then you can provide any. You can stop me or providing comments. In all soil profiles, there was an accumulation of soluble organic carbon in the top uh, five inches, the or four inches, whatever it is. The soil profile from New Jersey, Washington, and Wisconsin, the low profile also had higher soluble organic carbon levels in the iron cemented layer. Soil pH values were generally acidic, 6.1 to 7.2, in the profiles from Washington and New Jersey. But in the soils from Florida and Wisconsin, the low profile, the pH values were slightly higher and alkaline at the interface of the sand and the gravel. The soil profiles from Virginia and Hawaii, the low profile, had neutral or alkaline pH values in the top part of the soil profile and the pH was acidic above the interface of the sand and gravel. And the reason I wanted to read that is because I want to make sure that um, we understand the setting. We're dealing with iron cemented layers at the interface. For those who don't understand, may not be familiar, when putting greens are built, the USGA spec putting greens, there's a there's a standard layer, or usually it's 12 inches thick, um, that is that is um, put on top of most of the time it's a four to six inch thick layer of coarse gravel. And that that layer, that the finer textured sand above this coarse gravel allows the water in the root zone of the soil of the of root zone of the uh, for the for the turf grass growing in the above layer. It allows water to uh, be perched up there, but it also allows it to drain through. So you never really well, except for in odd cases like this, you're not really ever going to be saturated theoretically. Theoretically, the water is going to go into the gravel layer and drain off. That's the way it should work in theory. I know that doesn't always work. Um, but at the lower boundary layer of that 12 inches, though so there's a 12 inch root zone, and then there's a gravel layer below that. At the lower boundary layer, when water is moving into the gravel layer, the, 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 the area at the top of that 12 inches is, is going to be um, aerated. It's going to have air go into it much sooner than the, the, bound, the lower boundary layer of that 12 inch root zone, right? And, yeah. um, and you're not dealing, the reason I read that paragraph is because you're not dealing with all the same, same pH values. You're dealing with right. pHs that are acidic, you have some that are neutral, and you have some that are actually basic, above 7.0, right? So 
in our world, in, in the last couple of weeks, when we were talking about iron movement, I'm I've talked about the reduction of iron. And generally speaking, the reduction of iron occurs greatest when there is less oxygen, when it's, when it's saturated. That's when water movement can occur. Iron um, re reduction from Fe3 to Fe2 generally occurs more frequently in more acidic soils than in more basic soils. Um, but you're dealing with all of them, and you found the layer in all of them. <laughs> so right. that's what I found curious. I wanted to make sure that's clear to everybody is that, oh, uh, well, I understand what doc Dr. O'Bear is saying, but my soils um, are, are, are basic. I'm not going to have much um, iron movement. Well, hold on, <laughs> because he had, he had one that was basic as well, alkaline as yeah. well. And he and there he had a case where there was clearly an iron cemented layer formed in that case. So I just want yep. to make sure that's clear. Did I miss anything on that, Glenn? No, I think you just highlighted that. Yeah, pH is one factor, but the the redox potential or the you know how, how saturated and anaerobic a soil is, or, or the EH, the redox potential is uh, is the, the other factor that we don't have an easy way of measuring. You can, it's not you, as soon as you dig the hole that changes. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's not easy to, you know, to get that value from a soil testing. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with stuff like what you deal with when you're dealing with like just at that little layer of one centimeter. And even like it, when plants are taken up, we're dealing with a very, very small slice of the rhizosphere where the redox yeah. potential can be quite different than what it is in the root zone. And we're mm -hmm. taking a sample from the root zone and saying, oh, you shouldn't do that. Well, you know, well, there's a lot more going on in there than, than that. And it has to do with the redox potential. Absolutely. And, um, so, yeah. So, uh, you also mentioned here that the age of the golf course had little effect on any of the soil pro properties included in the analysis. I found that kind of interesting. I imagine, yeah. you know, 30, 40 year old greens might differ, but, um, yeah. but maybe not in your case, you didn't find much, much variation if, from the, the golf course age in terms of the soil properties you looked at. I was, what that was a small sample size? We'll, yeah, that's we'll true. That Only up. had six. Yeah. The pet pedogenesis. I'm not. I don't know if I'm. I'm going to bore everybody with the pedology involved with this, but I, I do think some basic for understanding of it would be nice. So in yep. the in four point one, you mentioned the the iron cemented layers are found in putting greens that are regularly irrigated. Mm -hmm. Okay, and That's in in greens. some cases, this is what I'm sorry. Uh, all putting greens. That's the pet the yeah. pedologist thing. Like yeah. as if there are some that are not regularly. Irrigated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and this was said. I had this read in some cases receive high levels of iron fertilizer. I'm going to come back to this in a little bit. Uh, yeah. a, a commonly is iron sulfate to produce a dark colored turf grass. The downward movement of water, high levels of iron and textural discontinuity are key factors in the formation of iron cemented layers. These layers form in, in three steps. Now I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to identify, we're going to talk about these three steps and then I'm going to come, well, let me just talk about these three steps. I'm going to come back to it. So step one is the, um, Fe three from sand minerals is reduced to Fe two. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. It, I, 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 I would just say, I don't know if it has to come from sand minerals. It can come from, mm -hmm. FE3 can come from any source, right? It doesn't necessarily, as Correct. long as it's there and it's not like in some, it's like not in gertite or some some mineral form where it's right. like solid form, but reduced right. reduced iron, so that's step one. I reduced iron from sand minerals and fertilizers is translocated down. So it, in other words, the iron has to be there. The iron mm -hmm. has to translocate down and then it has to be reduced um, to, uh, and when it's exposed to oxygen, when water is retained above the gravel layer, causing Fe2 to oxidize to Fe3, forming a cemented precipitate layer. In other words, you got a lot of stuff going on in here in terms of like, it's a soil chemistry, chemist dream, really. I mean, if you're interested yeah. in iron, Fe3 is going, well, it could be even organic iron, but it's forming into Fe3, then it's, then it's reducing back down to Fe2. 
Then it's moving down the profile. It's, it's encountering auction and going back into FE3, mm-hmm. precipitating out. There's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> okay. Yes, absolutely. This, this absolutely. paper, this paper's awesome. I mean, it's, it's crazy that you know, there's, there's just a little tremendous amount of stuff going on. Now, I want to make sure we're clear. It says, in some cases, the high levels of iron fertilizer. The reason I highlighted that, Glenn, is that in this paper, this was one of the first sort of introductory discovery papers of the subject. There needs needs to be a lot more work done. But Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I'm correct when I say this. And and one reason I wanted to have you on is because I don't want to be incorrect here. You didn't, you, you, we weren't able, you all weren't able to actually identify the source of the iron, either coming from an in, inorganic or organic, uh, you know, no. source, right? So it no. could have came from iron sulfate from fertilizer. It could have came from the organic iron in the soil. It could have came from the, the iron coatings on the sands. I mean, it, it, you're not really sure exactly where it came from. Is that true? Correct. It, was it, there any relation? Go ahead. Go ahead. Irrigation water, it's not as likely as some of these other sources, but it's another, you know, there are lots of inputs that can yeah. account for that iron. Yeah, the, the iron and the water, I mean, it gets to depend on how much water, how much iron's in it, but you'd have to put on a bunch of iron from a bunch of water and the iron would have to be through the roof to get that much yes. on there compared to yeah. the the amount of iron that's going out on fertilizer. And you make a point of saying that in the, in the paper as well. I just want to make sure that it's clear that we don't know, I'm, I'm at, this is a question, not a statement. Mm-hmm. Do we know or do we have any confidence in saying the iron is coming from fertilizers? You need to, you need to lower it. How confident? No, we, not confident. Okay. Uh, so the paper that has not been published yet um, for my PhD, we added, we added very high rates of iron to sand columns with different pH s- scenarios. And okay. long story short, we added f- somewhere between three and a half to 14 gears of iron applications, depending on what rates you would be using. Mm. And we didn't form these cemented layers okay. in, in, in columns, right? In a greenhouse type of setting. Okay. So um, I think we addressed the pH part, and but we didn't have the, the anaerobic conditions. And I think there's this whole piece that we're not looking at in this paper and that I think is hard to look at, but we need to is what, what contribution does the, the redox potential or the, the anaerobic soil conditions play. And that's, um, I think that that's the missing part here. And so, yeah, I mean, in theory, you shouldn't, we shouldn't have an anaerobic situation in a, in a putting green that's properly, you know, has properly built. But I think it was even Dr. Uh, Gratz at UF uh, published well, 15, 20 years ago. Even in aerated soils, there are clearly micro sites in that soil that are anaerobic. Just because you're at field capacity, quote unquote, it doesn't mean that you're um, you're not anaerobic, that you're completely aerobic. There's going to be some anaerobic zones in that soil. And in this case, what I'm getting at is, in this case, where you have a essentially a, a perched water table above, you know, this de- textural discontinuity between the gravel and the sand, you're going to have water moving down, and that lower boundary of that sand is going. It, it's there's no way it's going to have less water than the above soil. It's going to have more water because the water's moving through it, yes. and and I think, yes, yeah, and I and I think, um, I think we need to make that clear is that your putting greens have zones in them that are anaerobic. There's all, there's yes. very little chance that you're going to completely eliminate all anaerobic mm-hmm. conditions in a putting green, and you yeah. have to have that. Really, I mean, you don't have to have it, but it greatly increases the risk of this forming. Um, because that's necessary to reduce the FE3 to FE2 to get it to move down. Is that the case? Is that what you- 
exactly. Yep. That's okay. the case. I want to, um, it's not in this paper, but if so, if you ever on, are on your golf course and have a chance to dig a hole in a, in a green and actually get the soil profile exposed, take a TDR probe and stick it in at different depths. Mm. Um, we put some of that in, in a different paper and uh, right above the gravel, it'll be like, you know, I mean, it's all relative, but the TDR probe might tell you 30% uh, volumetric water content and you go up a few inches into that sand yeah. and it'll be like 2%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It, and then the, and the gravel is like zero, right? So <laughs> yeah, exactly. you definitely have a, yeah. a band. That's there's a, there's a gradient of water from the top down to the bottom and, yep. and, and, and it's yep. very well uh, engineered to, to prove, to do its job. And that is maintain a putting green and have some aeration and resist compaction. But there's this dynamic that exists for sure. So um, let's continue down through here because um, yeah. I'm 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 talking too much here. We're gonna I'm gonna get moving here. But um, in some soils the pH was acidic, basically. In other soils it was neutral. In other soils it was it was basic or alkaline. And and what you're basically in this these paragraphs here that I'm, I have marked here in these paragraphs, basically what you're saying is is that in acidic soils it makes sense because it's moving. It, it makes mm -hmm. sense that the iron's moving because it's acidic and it's more soluble and, and more likely to be reduced to Fe2. When it's not reduced, um, I mean, I'm sorry, when it's not acidic and it's alkaline. There's a statement here where you're talking about the um, the potential to be the the iron to be reduced from the oxidation of sulfur, and I'm a little bit confused there because in the cases where you're talking about, um, well, I'll just read it here. It says, um, <clears throat> excuse me, where is it at? We have present. Okay, um, some acidity may have been produced as a reaction product of iron sulfide sulfate oxidation at the sand gravel. In other words. The iron's being the iron sulfate's oxidation process is reducing it down, I guess, to or no, it's uh, wait, where you at sand gravel, which can could result in mobilization of the iron from the root zone, yeah, above. Sulfur is a common component of inorganic fertilizers, and so the sulfate's been put in there from fertilizer. There's, in other words, there's a source of sulfate. You're making that argument, and that's fine. The Hawaii low soil had a distinct sulfurous odor, and so forth. My, my, I guess my my thought process on that when you're talking about the oxidation. From sulfur of using sulfur, mm -hmm. I, I think there may be something there. But um, in other words, you're trying to explain the movement of iron in an alkaline soil. Mm -hmm. How how could it move? And I think it could easily move simply by the oxidation of the organic material as well. So I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So the, so iron is a great oxidizer of organic material, and when that happens, that Fe two gets reduced down to. I'm sorry, Fe three gets reduced down to Fe two. Mm -hmm. um, not quite as likely in in anaerobic soils. It's less likely, but it can still still occur, I suppose. Anyway, mm -hmm. there's just you know just some some thoughts there. Now I, these graphs. Um, do you want to go over any any of these graphs? I want to get to the to the to the the, the one that I will I like, but we can go over yeah, these graphs I mean, if you want to. These. I'll, 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 all I'll say is uh, what 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 do your eyes see with red color? and and where you think those layers are when you look at the soils yeah. um th th that's what these figures essentially showed and so yeah um, so we're looking we at were, depth depth yeah, of the depth, profile correct yep and then looking at the you know concentration of different elements and so yeah so this is go this, ahead go this ahead. fe zero to fed or fed that this is the ratio of the two forms of iron yep or and two the closer that it the closer that is to the closer it is to one, the more likely it's a cemented layer, basically, like one that formed okay. recently. And okay. If, yep. If the ratio is like 
you know, really low, close to zero, like 0 0.1, it's not, it's not recently formed iron. It's probably iron from the sand. That's just like really? inherent in the, yep. So as you see, like in, in the cemented layers, the, the, the ratio gets a little bit higher or closer to one because uh -huh. more, more of that iron is recently formed. Okay. So that's okay. the idea. That's a good explanation. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't clear on that. Good. Yeah. Thank you for that. Okay, good. Yeah. And, and then I guess um, the next figure, I think, gets to what I could say in the figure above, but I think it's summarized the best in this the big one down there. Yep. This one here? So Yeah, yep. I, I hadn't quite seen this sort of information displayed uh, this way. And I think... Um, I don't want I don't want your readers of the of the of the article to skip past this thinking ah it's not important it is important <laughs> let's talk about it yeah yeah so so uh, you know the figures that we were looking at before like your eyes start to pick out relationships right like um can, can you actually scroll up yeah uh, scroll sure. up once so like you see like uh uh you know that bottom left graph there um those lines kind of have the same shape right like yeah. Mm -hmm. they were measuring all different things but they all have the same shape and yeah. so that 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 tells, tells me maybe those are related or correlated to each other mm -hmm. and so then that figure down below it actually looks at the relationship between all this different stuff that we measure and okay so, so can you walk yeah. us through so the way, we walk us through so you have age mm -hmm. depth soil organic carbon ph and then the, mm -hmm. the forms of iron and then you have manganese and aluminum on here as well and yes. it's it's what do you call there's a name for this type of uh, uh scatter plot it's a scatter plot scatter plot uh, matrix matrix yeah scatter plot matrix something like that it's something along those lines yeah. uh -huh. so yeah so if you're looking at this walk us through so if i'm looking at age and i'm going down this i'm going down this way i'm going to come to the intersection where it's age and depth right yep okay yep. so what does this what does this mean when someone's reading this in terms of like seeing the dots on this scatter plot on the age depth uh, panel yeah, so it's trying. It's just trying to correlate all the different um, data points, and so, so some of them wouldn't make sense to compare. Like, yeah. um, I'm trying to think. Like age and depth. Depth is just something we we measured, yeah. and uh, and so then of course like that wouldn't be related to age. But then you go down to a question we had was like, do we see more more iron in older 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 greens right yeah and uh this lets you actually look at whether or not that trend was there okay and by the, um, by this here the the depth oh you said age i'm sorry i, I was I, by I this was one picking here one, picking one arbitrarily so i mean with age specifically there there wasn't a whole lot to pick out okay um, but then you go to one like like depth and um soil organic carbon okay so depth and right soc here. yeah so what so you you uh you draw yes yeah, how do you read this so you you look at the connection between those two. So to the lower left mm -hmm. of of depth, and so that one right there where your cursor yeah. is, yeah. Th those are all the data points of the different depths and okay. how much organic matter or organic carbon they had. And okay. that that one to me makes sense because uh, um, the the shallower the depth, the more organic matter you have, right? We, we see organic matter at the surface and that's what this graph shows Yeah, is that at the surface, the higher depths, which are more to the right. And then yeah. the organic carbon's higher. So, so the depth, now, un the depth unit for this variable here, the depth is up here, right? This is, this is perfect. the depth and this is mine. This is 20 centimeters deep and 30 centimeters yep. deep and so forth. Make sure everybody 40. understands that. Okay. Exactly. Yep. And yep. then oh, I got something on my screen and then the soluble organic, soluble organic carbon is over here on this, this, uh, uh, axis over here on the, on the right y axis yep basically in percent okay in percentage okay okay so that's yep. how you would read that it so, is and then the, 
Uh, and then if you go like kitty corner, like to the upper right, that's uh -huh. like a mirror image of everything on the bottom left. And so the, um, that 0.75 number between depth and, and soil organic carbon, yeah, right. that's that's the correlation coefficient or um, the okay. R squared. So it's pretty and good. So it's, uh, or the R. Yeah. So it's like the closer that is to one, the more perfect yeah. the correlation is. And so 0.75 is like, yeah, that, and that makes sense. We, we already know that the surface yeah. has more organic matter. So that makes sense, right? Yeah, and any negative values, I mean, just the trend, the the relationship is going the other way rather than up. And you see, uh, exactly, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, yep. I just want to make sure that we understand that this is an important figure and um, yeah, understand and, how to read and it. I, and, and I can call out some of the important. So a bunch of them were not important. Um, okay, you know, like like age, for example, didn't really explain much here. But we only had six sites, and so yeah, maybe it wasn't you know the, the right data set for that. But you look at things like. Um, Okay, so, you know, some really key ones, I think, are if you look at the FE, you know, any of the iron ones, go um, FED, FED and, then okay. and then go down from there. Mm. Um, look at aluminum, ALD, okay. yeah. and FED. Yeah. Um, it certainly looks like you've got, uh, you know, yeah. the, more, the more aluminum you have, the more iron you have. So there's a correlation between iron and aluminum. Yeah. And when we go back to the literature and look at you mentioned the word sesquioxides mm -hmm. um you know oxides those often contain iron manganese and aluminum and mm -hmm. in our data set here we saw that iron manganese and, and aluminum seem to be moving together and so yeah 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 there's, so there's some validity validity to that yeah manganese and iron are you know they sit right next to each other on the periodic table not that, that particularly matters in every case but mm -hmm. they tend to kind of have a similar dynamic and that's i mean a chemist chemist would crucify me for saying that but they have a very similar dynamic and their their redox potentials and, and their solubility and so forth in other words yeah manganese will oxidize but it just won't do it quite as quickly as iron yeah um exactly okay good okay so let's get let's get to the very end here and wrap this whole thing up and sure um and then i'd like to kind of you know frame it and, and put a nice little bow on it so people can walk away with something that's um they can mm -hmm. use if, if possible so we just talked about all this stuff um the construction okay we already talked about that good 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 the okay then you're i'm let's i'm gonna you know what i'm gonna skip the pedology stuff because i think that's fine that yeah. might put yeah. some people to sleep <laughs> <laughs> it might it might it, it wouldn't put me to sleep i mean i, I yeah. read it i was highlighting it but um yeah. we might we might lose some people on that no, uh okay so let's go to um the end here yeah um okay so i'll read the last little part here and then we'll kind of have some bullet points the iron cemented layers described in this study always formed at the textural discontinuity just and i mentioned we've mentioned this phrase just so we understand the texture what we're talking about is the texture of the above layer of the root zone is yeah. x whatever that is and we've the soil texture yeah. yeah the soil texture is, is what it is and then the, the texture of the lower gravel layer is very very different it's much more coarse very large much more large particle sizes and at that boundary layer creates a textural discontinuity. That's what we're talking about. The, 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 yeah. There's a strong um, line there that we've intentionally created. That can also be created in nature. I mean, it happens mm -hmm. all the time in nature, but we've done it on purpose to take mm -hmm. advantage of what happens when you do that. And that is to hold the water up into the root zone of the, of the, for the turf grass to take advantage of. So that's what they're exactly. talking about when they say textural discontinuity. 
and so uh, uh, so t- uh, formed a textural continuity, discontinuity or organic rich layers where drainage was impeded above a drier subsoil with a boundary of lower redox potential over higher redox potential. Therefore, we predict that iron cemented layers. By the way, I like this phrasing. By the way, I wish more. I wish I did this more actually when I was writing. We predict. We you know as scientists we have to make predictions. And then we have to go test our predictions to see if they're valid or not. The model accounts for it or not. So I, I like that language. Well done. Therefore, we predict that iron cemented layers are more likely to form in soils with sharp boundaries in particle size, pH, or total organic carbon creating conditions of lower redox potentials of higher root zone redox potential. So what you've done is you've, you've gone from golf in that sentence, you've gone from golf, putting greens, to this could really occur, but it, this is what we would expect to be necessary um, in order to increase the risk of it occurring. We need a textural discontinuity, we need iron, and we need some uh, redox potential. We need the redox to be low, I guess. I mean, the the the, the iron needs to be an FE2 in order for that to happen. Right. It generally needs to be anaerobic. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, well done on that. And then it says, future studies should investigate the con- contribution of iron from irrigation and fertilizer. That's what I was saying earlier. We don't really know exactly where it's coming from. It's certainly, if you're applying iron, and this goes for lawn care operators or sport turf managers, even if you don't have a putting green, if you're applying iron, we all know about the phytotoxic um, potential of, of, of applying iron to the turf grass, but below ground, it can also occur. And uh, uh, the, the iron can actually cause issues. But, but having said that, I'm not so much worried about um, someone putting out a pound of iron per acre, spraying it out, you know, three or four times a year. What I'm concerned about, Glenn, and the, the audience, is putting out granular iron as iron sulfate um, when we know or we're very convinced that that iron is going to oxidize very quickly and not provide any agronomic value to the plant. There's yeah. very, very little evidence you're going to provide any agronomic po- prob- uh, benefit to the plant. But, although I would say it's the risk is low. You are still you're increasing the risk of something like this occurring without receiving any benefit from the application to begin with. I agree with that. Yeah. So, yeah. so I want to make sure that people. I've, I've been hitting this hard, Glenn, is where with with iron is that granular iron to me is is not of any really agronomic value. Meaning it's not mm-hmm. going to increase the plant quality or the plant yeah. color. It's going to oxidize very quickly. And if you're loading it up and loading it up and keep applying, keep applying it, it's very unlikely that you have the exact conditions that's going to create a textural discontinuity and all these other things. But if you're looking to minimize your risk, you're, you have to have three things. Iron, you have to have redox, um, the, the, the potential has to be low, and you have to have a textural discontinuity. Well, you can control the iron. There's not a whole lot you can do about the, 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 the anaerobic conditions per se when you're dealing with 10 inches down or 12 inches. There's not a whole lot you can do. Right. And there's not a whole right. lot you can do about textural discontinuity. Right. But you can control the iron, especially when you're applying sources that don't have much agronomic value. Just eliminate yeah. them. Right. Right? Agreed. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I'm thinking. Even though we, we don't have strong evidence to say that this layer formed from iron fertilizer. We, we don't have that yet. No. But, no. you know, it is iron though, and it's it, it certainly would it could contribute, right? That's, exactly, that's we, it could contribute, yeah. and I'm like, well, dude, you know, we don't need it to begin with, so let's just eliminate it. I'm sorry, I'm, I yeah. I get all I no, get all bent on a shape here sometimes. So that's helpful, yeah. Um, okay, the conclusions: the layers from a textural discontinuity where where redox potential is low is satu- is in saturated soils and high in drier subsoils. A layer must be 
must become cemented in, or a layer may become cemented in less than 10 years, 1.5 millimeters a year. So you have a, you just took over a golf course and you were super new superintendent there. You're maybe the second and third superintendent at this golf course and it's 15, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we oftentimes think of putting greens, you know, about that age, considering redoing them. Mm-hmm. Um, but even 10 years, potentially even younger than that, uh, it's possible with the right conditions that you may be, you may have an iron cemented layer at that boundary layer and not know it. Cause how many times do you dig up your green and look at the boundary layer? I mean, not that often, not right? that often. Yeah. I suspect this is probably more common than people realize because they're not going out yep. and digging down 12 inches and looking at that layer. Yeah. Um, that's just my take on it. These management I've factors. Seen. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I wrap it up and then I have some kind of overarching comments about testing and sampling. Okay. These management factors are common among sites across the world, leading us to hypothesize that iron cemented layers could form in any golf course soil with an abundant supply of iron and a redox potential boundary. And so that's the key. I mean, you need, you need to have the source. It's kind of like the disease triangle, really. Mm -hmm. You need to have the source. You need to have the right conditions. And that's that being the redox potential has to be low. And then you have to have this boundary layer that provides oxygen below it, you know, there's a, there's a, there's um, a, um, a, an opportunity for oxygen to interact with the reduced iron from the above layer. Mm-hmm. So if, if we can, if we can minimize one of those three, like the disease triangle, and if we can control this or control that, then the chances of it coming and creating a problem would, would be reduced is, is what I'm reading from that. In theory. Yep. That was our theory. Okay. So I- what you, what else you got? Yeah, so I'm just thinking, you know, take a step back and because um, w- when people see this or they see these pictures, like everybody wants to be able to just grab a, a jug of some product and like get rid of it, right? Or it's like you love if there was just some easy thing yeah. like, oh, just don't don't use fertile, don't use iron fertilizer or don't, uh, you know, it, it's not. Unfortunately, I think we're just not there yet. And uh, I, I liken this to um, a little bit like. Uh, the journey we've gone through with organic matter accumulation. Mm. Like when did that research start? It's some, you know, decades and decades and decades ago. But at the very beginning, I I bet we were just noticing that organic matter is accumulating. And then they probably were like, well, this happens in, in grass prairies as well. And yeah, like there's like a whole framework that's exactly the same as what we're going through here, except we're just like at the very beginning of it with this problem. And it's tricky because it's 12 inches down versus at the surface but yeah i mean think of how much research every single year is going on with um how to manage organic matter accumulation and the debates about top dressing versus coring and it's like well we still don't i mean there's a lot that we know but it's like there are still lots of contentious debates and different approaches and like that's how many you know 80 years in or i have i don't remember when that research started but we're we're far further down the road that we observe the problem and then started testing how to solve it we're still in the observe the problem phase with this problem with the iron cemented layers and so yeah when i went to uw madison and showed everybody these pictures i thought they were going to say like oh yeah just you know just apply this acid or something like that right and (laughs) like and like i've worked with courses who've tried that um i worked with a course that they'd use the the drill and fill machine okay and they dr- on and they closed the course for two whole weeks mm. uh drill and filled every single green and they hand sprayed with a sing- like a single nozzle they sprayed an acid down every hole until it backed up and like oh, really? up out of the hole really like they had the, the whole entire crew do this i don't know it was a huge investment and um 
so and uh, they thought that they saw some temporary relief that let them get through a tournament but they were still renovating the greens three years later so it's like didn't yeah. it didn't ultimately solve the problem and then when i was there i noticed that you they still you still had the iron cemented layer at the sand gravel interface going horizontally mm. um and then we also had iron accumulations or maybe cemented layers now going vertically up the sides of those channels oh really yes oh my gosh <laughs> so now you have like a, a three-dimensional you know it's it's uh so you have a tube anything like that though, you have a tube yeah and so wow. um it's it just to me highlighted like okay wow. we are in the op the observation phase um you know there's you can try stuff but uh we don't even have the right testing framework to be able to go back and say um have i made progress have i reduced the layer um like it's so hard to even measure um, the you know infiltration rate with a ring infiltrometer. Like it, it, that's yeah. not really adequate to measure what's happening twelve sure. inches down. So yeah. oh, it's like yeah. we don't we don't have the right toolkit still. And I think the best thing I think a superintendent could do right now is to get your hands on observing and I mean literally get a PVC pipe and go out to the areas that are struggling and pound that thing down with a rubber mallet and mm. and pull that pull it out and cut it open with a like a Dremel tool or an oscillating saw and, and look at, look at your soil. How often do we actually do that? Look at the putting green soil profile. Yeah. Um, and you can, you can send those samples to a lab and get more analysis, but mm -hmm. like your eyes are going to tell you so much. And so, yeah. Um, at least once every year or two or three, I, I would be documenting, taking pictures and then looking at changes over time. Yeah. Um, and there uh labs do offer the right tests like that we did in this paper it's not super mainstream um you might have to have it work with a consultant or you know custom ask for them custom i'd love to see our industry get to the point where our um our undisturbed soil analysis um right now there's so much focus on physical properties and on the sand size and bridging factors and that's all super important but that's all very um engineer course construction you know Mm -hmm. how things are at, at, on day zero. And then it's pretty unfair. I think as superintendents were asked to take something that was designed to last, you know, on day zero, and then it immediately starts changing yeah. organic matters accumulating. There's no framework or, um, you know, way to understand all these comp complex chemical reactions that are happening. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how to talk about the biological things that are happening. It's almost like, I, like even through all of undergrad and grad school, it was just like, oh yeah, that's really complicated. It's the black box. But oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it could be very important to understand how yeah. nutrients are cycling and moving. And so I just think um, we're still in the observation phase, take soil samples, look at them for yourself. And, um, and, and as an industry, we need to get this way further along in terms of the amount of data we have and the amount of sites that we've looked at and move from a, physical properties only to a more nuanced approach, looking at the chemical, physical and chemical properties. So yeah. Um, yeah. looking at the pH, looking at the amount of organic matter, not just at the surface, but lower down in the profile. And so. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I often get, um, maybe it's just because it's, it's my world of soil testing, but I get inundated with that component, that, that part of, of, of turf grass management. I don't really have a lot of, um, people calling about physical stuff. And I, and I often mm -hmm. tell people if it were me, in fact, I just did it last week at the, at the GIS is that 
If it were me, I'd put down the soil sample probe and I'd pick up a soil profiler first. Yeah. You know, yes. it only goes seven inches down, but I mean, it's not going to go all the way down to the, to the gravel layer, but I think the soil profiler, which I don't, I'm, I'll have to show a photo of it if, you know, if you're not familiar with it. I think that's going to give me, uh, in mo- many cases, more valuable information than a soil test will. And, mm-hmm. in, and in your case, you're saying go one step further, just hammer down a, a pipe down in, into the ground all the way down to the gravel layer, bring it up, split it in half and take a look at it. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the information yeah. and I know people say, oh, that's a lot of work or I don't want to put a hole in my green or it's going to take the information you'll gain from that is far mm-hmm. more valuable than I think you can imagine, especially and to your, to your question, uh, Glenn, you said, how, you know, how many people do that? I've never driven a pipe all the way down to the gravel layer ever. It's awesome. Yeah. You I, try it. Yeah. I know. I mean, what, I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of in that world and I've never done it. So, I mean, for yeah. superintendents to do that, maybe not on every yeah. green, but if you have yeah. a green that, you know, your you know, your indicator spots in your putting greens, you know, which ones yeah. tend to be um, poor and which ones show up first. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you can at least take that opportunity to go down to the gravel layer, mm-hmm. pull it up and rule it out. If it's not that, mm-hmm. then you're good. Okay, you know it's clear all the way down to the gravel and through the gravel. You're good, and the drain pipes, whatever the case is, you're good. And if you're yep. not, if you're not in USA spec, if you're in a, if you're, um, if you just have sand on top of native soil, there's still a, con- mm-hmm. a, dis- a discontinuity there, textural discontinuity at those layers as well. So, there is. so I don't yep. know if you diagnosed a, a, the iron cemented layer in, th- in that case, but it would it would seem that it would be possible. Um, it is possible. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We've seen, we've seen that before. Yeah. Oh, you have. Okay. Yeah. So um, even, I don't know if it was causing a problem. That's the only thing, but you can see, I've seen iron accumulation in that scenario you described as well. Okay. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I would, I would just encourage people to, I mean, I, I don't want to say put down the soil testing probe, but mm-hmm. at, at least pick up a soil profiler, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know what, Glenn, I, now that I say that, I think they might have a soil profiler that's 12 inches long or maybe even longer. Yeah. I think I've seen one. Where it, it's a, uh, I have one downstairs, but it's only seven inches. But I think they might have a longer mm-hmm. one, and then it, yeah. and then it, then it pulls open. If I'm not mistaken, I think that might think be that from might that be the company case. that uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but they may have a 12 inch one or a 16 inch one or something. I don't know. But that's a good question. Yeah. Um. A, a trick. One tricky thing too is uh. Sometimes. Well, a lot of the times the depth is not 12 inches. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You, it's you more say, than 12 inches. Yeah. It's more than 12 inches. Yeah. So. Yeah. If if I'm doing it. Um. Yeah. I I haven't used one of those profilers for this depth, but yeah. uh, I'll take like a a two foot long, um two you know two inch diameter PVC pipe. Yeah. Cut it off at two feet. I'll throw it on the grinding wheel and sharpen the bottom. Yeah. Uh. Take go on the drill press and drill a hole through the top. Get a big screwdriver as a handle, hmm. and then go go out to the green with a rubber mallet and just wail on it. Hammer and, that sucker down, and, yeah. And and uh, when you hit the gravel, keep going and go all the way through the gravel into the subgrade. Oh, pull out that the whole plug, and then you'll be able to actually see. Uh, oh, really? You can, you know, Okay. I mean, well, I wouldn't. Yeah, I didn't think you, about going through the gravel, but if you can get it to go through there, sure. Yeah. If you can get it to, it's hard, but you, yeah. Well, that would, so. yeah, that would, yeah, that would definitely eliminate any variation. I mean, you know, you would definitely have what, if there is something there, you would see it there. Right. Is that, and that's basically what you did in this study? You went all the way through the mm-hmm. gravel layer and then you split it in half and you opened it up. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well done. Well, Glenn, is there anything else before we go? No, just uh, keep digging. That's my advice. Um, and uh, I, I hope that as an industry, we get further on this. I'd love to see the same amount of 
sampling and data that we have for like uh, you know plant nutrient analysis and interpretation, where we know like you know this amount of iron is. We have words like high, medium, and low, which are kind of fraught. But mm. you know, I'd love to be in a place where we have enough data to say stuff like that. In this case, like well, you know. <laughs> If you're whatever, whatever measurement toolkit we have, um, yeah. that's where we need to get to. But it starts with with digging a hole and yeah. or put, putting a pipe in the ground. So start there and we can all get there together. Awesome. Well, you and me both, I wish we had more data on soil sampling and testing and tissue testing and all that stuff. I think we're the analogy I use is maybe a hundred years ago we were we were blind completely. Now I think our eyes are open, but our glasses are off. I mean, everything's mm -hmm. kind of blurry. We can kind of see some things here and there in soil testing. We can kind of see the general direction we need to go, but it's really mm -hmm. blurry. And I think we, if we, we keep progressing, keep moving forward, if we can get enough funding, the problem is we don't get enough funding for this work. No one wants to fund soil testing work. I don't know why, but yeah. we can eventually get to where we're wearing glasses and then we have more confidence. That's, uh, I think that's our progress. So we've gone from blind to walking with no glasses on and we're kind of <laughs> we kind of can yeah. see the truck in front of us about to hit us we can kind of see the, the over yeah. there there's someone walking but we don't really know who it is or where they are um that's where yep. we are now so okay all right everybody so on monday thank thank you dr obear appreciate it hang on real quick don't hang up um okay. i'll I, I hope i'll be back on monday i'm scheduled to be back on regular routine next week and then I'll fill you in on everything that's been going on. And we're going to start back with nitrogen. So not back. We're going to start with nitrogen next week. I want I have five or ten more papers of iron, but I it's too late. I got to get on to the next subject. And we'll be going over nitrogen. And on, on Wednesday night next week, we'll either do the next pH paper or we'll do the nitrogen cost paper, which is probably what everybody really wants to see. Um, so look forward to that next week. Until then, guys, I really appreciate Dr. O'Bear. Hang on real tight. And everybody for showing up today. Appreciate it. We'll see you Monday morning.